Hello and welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. Today we have a special episode, it's part three of three of a recent World UX Roundtable event. We hope you enjoy it. Alberto, is there anything from a UX design perspective or research that you would like to add to that vision for a, an ideal or the, the kind of the perfect storm, the perfect world UX? Yeah, so basically this, there's been a, quite a number of principles already in which are key, but I think that ultimately what we're all discussing and um, in terms of what we're actually um, aiming for in terms of world UX, that those principles of collaboration, of embedding, of constant communication, of understanding what are the needs and requirements of the user and the people who are actually going to use the product, it all speaks ultimately to the fact that localization is UX and we have um, responsibility in terms of the whatever we put in front of our users across markets to make that that experience uh, work towards whatever their requirements are. And so that's the, the thing with uh, UX design and research is that they are not always natively aware of localization and building those bridges definitely helps. And in terms of um, world UX, and there's a key distinction as well is that there isn't a universal UX in the sense that it's never one thing that can serve everybody in the world. That's impossible. But we should think of UX with a universal in mind. We should think of it as something that should be inclusive, that should be accessible, and should be uh, targeting the appropriate audiences um, in a way that is very close to what they actually require. So. Obviously, me working in research, my team is very, very connected to the design and localization parts, because whenever we test, for example, a product across uh, different markets, that's basically what we're looking at is how do we um, how do we think about the user in that specific circumstance in that specific market, and so usually pairing up and collaborating on the on that level of being very connected to not just design and localization and research and have that triad really supported also by whatever is coming from QA, whatever is coming from feedback in the markets, whatever's coming, whatever can be gleaned as well from the tests and the research that we do. Um, it's important that the localization um, part is an inherent um, component of UX and that's the aspect where what kind of form that will take will depend on the corporate environment, will depend on team makeup. Uh, I think that's really what Ryan and Tarja were alluding to in terms of collaboration is key because unicorns are very, very few. And if you can use the resources you have in-house effectively, then that's half the battle because bringing people in is really what, again, what World UX speaks to is being inclusive and also having that uh, translate into the way that you work. Great, thank you. Thank you very much, Alberto. So we've we've looked at the why they belong together um, and, and the, the what world UX or the ideal world UX 
may look like, even though there isn't such a thing as universal UX or sort of the, the perfect um, world UX. I'd, I'd like us to look at how do we get from where we are today to that ideal, right? To, to where we want to be. Um, maybe some of the challenges that you guys have experienced throughout your, your own journeys. And I, I would love to hear also from our attendees, from our audience today, just put in the chat rather than the, in the Q&A, but if you could put in the chat kind of in, in one word or two, what is your major challenge um, today? And I'm going to turn to Ryan just in terms of the, the challenges that you have experienced over over the last number of years in your role at Line um, and how you've overcome them. What advice you would give um, our, our audience, be it on the localization side or on the UX side, to kind of progress through this journey towards a world UX? Yeah, sure. Um, obviously, the challenge I mentioned earlier about doing things at scale is something that um, I think is a, a big challenge. And the way to do that is just consistently innovate and try to find ways to automate things. So, you know, on my team, I have like three awesome PMs and five writers, and they're constantly giving new ideas about how we can improve parts of the process, automate certain tasks. Um, if you can have a localization engineer, uh, that's amazing. We tried to hire one for a long time, couldn't find one. Uh, so we're trying to do it all basically um, as we can. But that will really help. Uh, the other thing is keeping people on the same page about what your role is. Um, I saw one of the people asked a questions about um, working with teams that might be resistant to integration. And I think uh, being very clear about what your role is and what you're bringing to the team is um, something that's a constant challenge. Um, even if you can get people on the same page, new people will come into the company. Um, a lot of places, it's not integrated well. So they might have a different idea of what your role should be. So explaining what you're doing and, and doing a sort of self-advocacy is actually a constant challenge that, that we have to do um, even here with like, this is why we're localizing, this is what we're doing. You know, we're not just a simple translation team. We're actually writing and we're taking the needs of the business into consideration. All those very basic things. It's basically like constantly having to like teach people what the localization is and what uh, we do. So that, I think that's a never ending challenge for the job. So if you get started down this road, just be prepared for that. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Tarja, from your perspective, again, you have been managing the sort of kind of cross-functional teams for quite some time. What challenges have you faced? What, I guess, what would be your um, top advisor or top tips? I think that's uh, definitely one of the challenges for uh, for me in the past has been uh, kind of you know getting first of all getting the understanding to to the other teams of what localization is and what does what are the things that the localization manager is actually interested in in uh, because you know usually the, the the idea is that you are interested in in the translations and 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 the languages and and you know, producing a, a language version. But, you know, there, there are so many things that we've covered here. You know, there's so much data that you have to uh, follow on a daily basis, basically, when you're a localization manager and, and all of these different things that you kind of have to be aware of all the different things that the other people in the company are doing. You have to understand what developers are doing and, and kind of speak all of everyone's language. Um, but the biggest challenge has probably been, you know, as you're trying to create ROI for your for your languages that you're managing and, and kind of create ROI for localization and, and and producing quality localization it's really difficult if if you know if the research is done for instance just with the English text 
and then decisions are made based on that kind of um, feedback that you get from English users and then you try to just translate that into into other languages so kind of getting that understanding of you know what a localization what localization means in a broader sense that's probably probably it um but also it's I think that's usually getting this kind of collaboration has been has been easy I, I like to harness technology to to help in in the challenges uh you know what when we're talking about collaborating with writers and with ux uh, ux uh, design teams usually there's this um this piece of technology that you can put in the middle that will get people excited about working with localization for instance and it will make it easy because there's this kind of this underlying thought even if you haven't really been working with localization it's the same with dev development teams there's this kind of weird um thing thinking that localization is difficult and localization is um it's slow and it slows things down and that's usually as a result of you know not having the right technology in place in your company to to collaborate so usually what i've done to overcome these challenges um with the with the collaboration is just to find those processes and find the tools that that will make the process work for instance uh using a design tool where you can push strings directly into your localization management tool those kind of things that will make the, uh, the that will kind of leave time for thinking you know when you when you take out those kind of tedious tasks from the from the middle all right thank you thank you very much tarja sergio and um, from your perspective i think uh, at some point in our, in our previous conversations you had talked about um sort of the the challenge first of all to bring design and writing together and now you had achieved some sort of technology as well that had uh, helped with that further collaboration and sort of automation and streamlining, would you like to share with us? Yeah, yeah, sure. As Tarta was just saying, there's people who think that translation just slow processes, and we just discovered by ourselves because we, we didn't know about it. That is quite the opposite. We just just to let you know about our background, we started back in the day with Spressy with screenshots, which is like okay to get the job done, but of course not the way to go. And then we just I remember going one year ago to other meetups to know about it, how to improve this process. And of course, there's a, a long way for that. But then we just moved to, to Trello, just for asking for translations, to give context, where are the users that's going to read that and everything else. So, okay, we're, we're improving. And then when I was talking about the developer that helped us, there was a developer in, in our team who said, hey, I just read documentation about Fraser, which is a content management system to enter translations. Like he said, do you think we could uh, make a, a collaboration between Figma and Fraser? And I was like, well, I, did, I, mean, I didn't know about that. It, it looked super hard back in the day, uh, and it wasn't. And, and right now we have a, a system in which we can either the US writers or people who is translating just translate everything in Figma, which is you, you can see really how it's gonna how it's gonna be seen for for users. And then we just literally two three clicks, you just send it to to Fraser to the content management system, and it helps for sure. It helps us and it helps developers also. And what's more important is that it helps users because you can see from the very beginning how it's gonna be seen and. And it's one of the tiny things with technology that as Tarja was saying, it, it may seem like, oh my God, this is impossible to achieve and it's doable. I think one of the one of the biggest key challenges is that you need to, to spot, you can see it, uh, fuck ups or the, the spots for improvement in your in your process. I think we all suffer them, but we somehow we, we don't spot them. I, I would recommend you to try to spot them and just uh, section them like, okay, these are my problems here. And once you have them spotted, you will, Maybe you will know directly what to do, but you, you will know what to address and just go one by one. And as we said before, 
uh, step by step, try it, it works for you. And if not, just move to the other one. But for sure, it's going to be an improvement. Okay, great. So trailer for collaboration and then Figma and Phrase app in terms of what you guys are utilizing. I think at some point in our previous conversations, Slack was kind of one of the channels for collaboration um, that, that you guys have mentioned as well. So that's great. And I, I see that there's a lot of questions. I know that we're running a little bit behind. So um, Alberto, I'm, I'm going to get you to um, share perhaps some of your own experience again, coming at it from a design perspective or a research perspective, what have how you've overcome them or what sort of advice would you give to our audience to get from where they are today to where they want to be? Yeah. So um, in my personal path, um, obviously coming from localization, there was a certain set of skills that I had to acquire in order to move into design and then research. And it's really, um, I find that localization people are naturally curious. They have this kind of uh, vision to learn and to improve their skills and, and acquire that that's Swiss knife. I think that one of the things that definitely helps is to um, take online courses, for instance, like Interaction Design Foundation has quite a few that are very accessible, they're for free, and they are very helpful in understanding the basics of UX. Also, in terms of the, the basic skills, you even if you're not aiming to become a unicorn, it's just important to understand some of the, the basics of layout and design. And if you're working in localization for a while, you've developed an eye for that for sure. You've got internationalization concerns, um, different aspects of wrapping and, and different aspects of um, potential issues with long strings. And this is all... These are all things that can help in, in collaborating and discussing these issues with design teams. But again, the principle being that localization doesn't exist in a vacuum. There's an environment around it. If the team doesn't have access to UX writing as such, it means that usually the, the copywriters or whoever is managing the, the content might need also some assistance from a data uh, perspective. And it's good to engage, for example, with if you, even if you're building a business case or if you're just thinking about how to take the next step towards you know, um, emancipating localization in your environment. It's good to look at analytics, for example, for specific markets, um, seeing what the traffic is like, engage those kinds of conversations because you can definitely use those to your advantage in making the case for more investment or more um, capacity for for the team. And the other thing as well is obviously um, in research, we're usually doing user testing, uh, which is a very simple way of getting somebody from that speaks a different language um, sitting in front of even a pseudo localized prototype or a different version of the product and getting feedback that way. And that usually brings to light a lot of design issues that then are naturally um, relevant for the UX teams. But also it starts off this conversation on the other level, which is um, any user of any market is going to have a response and sometimes just showing video clips and bringing that to the conversation within the, the teams really, really helps to build awareness and more um, and, a, and a more uh, prominent role for localization. So there are different angles that you can, can, you can latch on. On a personal level, definitely 
um, taking some courses and getting into it by yourself, but also hopefully getting the company to sponsor you on that. And also on a team level, engaging with research, making the case of uh, localization as another component of UX um, really does help, but it's always reliant on persistence as well. You have to be patient in some cases. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Alberto. I know we're running over time, but Pat, I'd be I'd be very keen to hear what, what you have to say. And I know in, in some of our previous conversations we were talking about at the end of the day, you know, money and securing budget and kind of getting leadership buy-in and all of those things. Um, so from, from your experience again, how um what what sort of advice would you give? What sort of challenges you have experienced? What strategies have you applied? Yeah. Um the first thing actually I'm going to address is I saw a question come up about writing. Um, mm -hmm. Someone didn't have uh, writers and I think they were getting texts from PMs or POs and it was poor quality. And so this is something I faced. So I'm going to answer that question specifically and then go right. back. Um, first thing is if you Google controlled natural languages and try to create something like that in your own limited way in work. So a controlled natural language is, um, it's like a subset of English. Um, and phrases are uh, basically structured in a certain way and everybody learns them. So if you ever watch TV and you see a captain on a ship, a modern day ship speaking to some other captain, um, they, they, they all have to learn this maritime English. So they all say things the exact same way so that if you're not a native speaker, but you've learned this version of English, then you understand each other. And the reason for that is back in, I think, the 70s or the early 80s, there was a flip. Up before that, like 70% of the crews on ships with international trade were all English speaking. And then it flipped over and then they were mainly international. But they all had to communicate each other with each other when they were passing each other in the straits of wherever. And so you've got this and you've got it in aviation and in weapons technology, where you have all these people who work in different countries, but they all have to communicate with the same language. And, and, and it, this controls how they write stuff. So they might write a sentence where it's allowed to say, you can close a circuit, you can close a door, but they say, but you're not allowed to say, don't stand close to the engine. They'd say, don't stand near the engine. So there's actually software out there that will parse through your text and say, you don't say it that way, you say it this way, and then that's acceptable. And so that then removes confusion in text. Now, that might be too far for, for any of us, but the point is if you get an understanding of how this works, um, you can start to um, put restrictions on yourself and how things are said uh, and how to restructure sentences so that it makes more sense and um, there's a pattern that you follow afterwards. So that's the first thing, controlled natural languages. And the second thing is um, readability scores. So you can get certain websites and Microsoft Word does this as well. If you go into you know, the grammar and all that and you turn everything on, there's a particular option. You get a score for your text when you run the, uh, the spell check. And this will convince your PM or your product owner if the text is good or bad. This isn't an opinion, this is an algorithm and it's used internationally. And it gives you a score and whatever it is, like 70 or something, anything below that is below the minimum and it's, it's really very poor. So 
if 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 they give you text and they say this is great and you think this is rubbish you can get a score and say look at this score this is really poor but i've rewritten it and now this is a good score then at least that's factual information you can come back with it's not an opinion you know it's 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 a number so that's another thing um related to the controlled natural language there's a there's a book written by a guy on this called Globish and he has a site. So it's G-L-O-B-L-I-S-H, Globish. And it's it's basically, it's a business English, but the idea is um, English language reduced to the most common 1500 words. And if you put your text in there and anything beyond the most common words, uh, it flags them. Now, if it's a technology terminology thing in your industry, you can keep it. But if it's a complicated word, you could find a simpler version and then bring your reading level down to a simpler level and it's it's easier. Hemingway is another site. You put stuff in there. It flags things that are uh, in the passive uh, voice rather than the active, all those kind of things. And it's always of, of, of fixing up quality uh, of your text if, if you think it's poor. Uh, this, before, we ha- before I had writers working with me, this is the sort of stuff I had to check into and to try and improve the quality of my source because some of what I was getting was, was very poor. So that's just that, that answer there. Um, going back to the, sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, on. no, go ahead. Go ahead. We're just um, we're a little over time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, no worries. Thank you. Um, for me uh, in localization, when I was in Microsoft, there was a tipping point. They started to make more money from the non-English product than from the English product. And so companies are going to get that. Um, if, if, if they think localization is just translation at the end, uh, it's been, you're underestimating it. It really needs to be there and it really needs to be taken that, um, your future could be with the, your non-native or, uh, language. So you really got to go out there and, and, and spread it around. Um, on a personal level, there's no magic bullet for this. The person has to go out and look for access to designs if they're not getting it. Explain the problems, explain how you're going to fix it. Uh, you got to chase it up. Um, it's just down to the person. And I'll leave it at that. I'll just leave it at that. That's great. No, I appreciate, really appreciate it. And the, the fact that we've run over time, it means that this is, this is, uh, it's, it's not only a, a hot topic, it's something just genuinely, this is where our industry, where the localization industry needs to be. This is where World UX needs to, needs to go. And um, I'm afraid we're not going to have time to answer all of the questions. We've alluded to some of the questions in the Q&A. Um, what I would like to commit to, and I'm sure the panelists will, will be very happy to oblige, is that we're going to take the questions and answers, guys, and we're going to answer them. When you get the link to the recording for today's session, you will get the answers, our answers as well to, to the questions. I think that is fair enough for, for everybody. Um, and I obviously, I would like to see, and actually we are going to have a follow-up um, to, to today's uh, roundtable. We're going to have a, a workshop, a more kind of deep dive, um, more sort of practical workshop on World UX in the new year. So stay tuned. We will uh, confirm date and, and details um, in the coming in the coming weeks. Um, but in the meantime, you know, feel free to connect with the panelists, with myself, you know, kind of continue the conversation. There is a lot of momentum. There, there is a clear need. And, and um, yeah, 
all, all that's left for me is to thank the panelists so much for, for their time, for generously sharing their time, for Ryan, especially you're on the other side of the world. So it's uh, <laughs> past midnight if I've done my maths right. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just very much look forward to, to kind of sharing um, such a deep conversation with you guys again. Thank you to the attendees. Thank you to everybody who has stayed with us um, for for the uh, slightly over the, the 60 minute mark. And um, yes, we will for sure um, reply to your questions, uh, continue to share kind of a spread experience, share the knowledge and, uh, and move things forward. <laughs>